Alex Crow. And I'm Steve Evans. Welcome to Talk of the Times. No prizes for guessing this week's talking point, that interview. In their conversation with Oprah Winfrey, which one in six of us tuned into, Prince Harry and his wife Meghan dropped a series of bombshells. Perhaps the most stunning was that someone within the royal circle had questioned how brown their baby would look. No details were given. It was a vague accusation. There are two strands to the interview. The soap opera and celebrity, as they live out their life far from Windsor in California. And the implications for Australia. Does it make a republic more likely? We've got the head of the history department at the ANU, Frank Bongiorno, and royal watcher extraordinaire Megan Doherty for the Canberra Times. First of all, what did you both think of it? Well, I guess I went into it expecting to hate it all, but I actually came out of it understanding them a bit better and sympathising more with them. I liked that um, we could see the royals speaking as human beings without the help of a speech or whatever. And apart from anything else, I guess the most jaw-dropping revelation to me, which hasn't been discussed very much, is the fact that they had their security taken away from them, which I found absolutely (laughs) amazing. And if it's true, I guess just showed the callousness with which they were treated. Oh, I think it was a dramatic couple of hours um, or an hour and a half. I mean, the revelation around race and colour, I think, was the the really jaw-dropping moment, I think, for, well, for me and I guess a lot of people. Not that it was necessarily a surprise that such a thing could happen, but perhaps a surprise that would be revealed in the in the interview. They came across as practice celebrities and, you know, it obviously was a celebrity moment in all sorts of ways with Oprah's involvement as well. For a lot of particularly older members of the audience, it will have evoked the drama of, of Diana's uh, interview all those years ago. And I'm going to ask you, Alex. I am not a royal watcher, however. I went into it thinking come on, you knew what you were getting into. Could you have been so shocked when this was the life that you married? I came out thinking, she says she tried really hard to access mental health support and was shut down. And I think for me, that was the big revelation of if somebody's crying out going, I'm really lonely and sad and being told we can't do anything about that. I think that one was a bit of a shock. So I I empathise with her. And I'm going to give my own view. Yeah, I am. And that was, they're playing the celebrity game. They're playing the Hello Magazine game. They're going to get burnt. And it's clearly a very bitter, divided family. But my sympathy for them went, and I fear for Harry. That's my take. Megan, do you think the sympathy and will shift to their sides after this? What has been the commentary that's followed the interview? Just looking on some of the social media, a lot of the English tabloids, again, having a go at her, but some of the social media has backed up their case that they were treated differently. BuzzFeed compared headlines, 20 headlines between Kate and um, Megan and showed how overwhelmingly positive the coverage was for Kate as opposed to Megan, even with when there was exactly the same behaviour, exactly the same situation. Except Kate has played by the rules, hasn't she? She says nothing. She looks gorgeous. Mm. She keeps stum, says nothing. Megan, other Megan, has not played by the rules. Mm. She's had the 
copper bath at a cost of £50,000 put in. She appears in Wimbledon with jeans. She wants to have it both ways. She wants to be a personality in a role which demands a silent, subservient woman. I guess that's where I think the race card being overblown. I don't think the British public went against her because of any race issue. I think it was because she was uppity and she thought she knew better and she had this woke attitude. But in terms of whether he was a Archie was going to be a prince based on his colour, I think you look at the precedent. The Queen, her husband was a prince, her children were prince and princesses. Margaret's husband wasn't a prince and her children weren't princes or princesses. They've been living in relative anonymity and able to carry on with their careers. So... I don't work, walk in her shoes, so she can say what she's like if she feels she's ex- been exposed to that. But I just think for the, from the British public point of view, I don't think though there was a racist attitude towards it. Frank, do you think there is the capacity to shake things up in the way that royals now get to conduct themselves? Oh, look, I think part of the issue here is this is the second son. He's, he's now a fair way down the pecking order in terms of the throne. And this has been a long-standing problem with the British royal family, hasn't it? That unlike many European royals, it's not entirely clear what this kind of extended clan is there for. And in, in a sense... I mean, Harry is probably to be admired for actually forcing the issue. Clearly, with his his wife carving out some sort of new role, and the result of that may well be a more modern-looking monarchy that actually looks a little bit more like the European monarchies, which are, are relatively uncontroversial in ways that the British one seems to be unable to achieve. It raises the question, well, how much does it actually matter for you know how societies are governed, given that these characters are so far from actually being a king or a queen. Which brings us nicely to Australia. Does it change the debate? Not much, I think, for that reason. I don't think it has any great implications for how the monarchy or the crown works in Australia. I mean, back in the 1990s, when we did have an upsurge of republicanism here, one of the drivers of it was certainly the ordeals of the royal family during that period, the whole Charles and Diana thing and perhaps even the Andrew and Fergie thing. But it wasn't the main driver even back then. I think that republicanism in Australia in the 90s was largely driven by local factors And I suspect that there's even less relevance here because we're talking about someone who isn't in line for the throne. And so I I just don't think it's going to have a major impact on republicanism in Australia. I was amazed to read a poll in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age only a month ago which showed that support for republicanism or the republic, Australia becoming a republic, has, has collapsed almost half what it was in 1999 and the biggest collapse is amongst young people. I think there's been a disengagement from the issue. I mean clearly it was very much on the agenda. You had political leaders prepared to actually hitch their wagon to it in the 1990s, Keating being the most significant. The Australian Republican movement back then was much more active and there was a sense, you know, the, the centenary of federation coming up. I mean, there was a sense of republicanism as a broad-based movement that was engaging the idealism of younger people. But I don't see younger people being motivated by republicanism in the same way now. Their idealism is being expressed in quite other ways um, around racial issues, for instance. So, yeah, I just don't think the republicans have been very successful in mobilising younger people. Their interests tend to lie elsewhere. I think of my own teenage daughter, I doubt whether she any 
interest in this issue whatsoever. I agree. Harry is to be admired for standing up and trying to protect his family. I can understand. Like, there's been a lot of criticism of um, Megan. Why didn't she Google the family? How did she not know what she was getting into? But she, you have to admit, you have, she was an independent career woman coming in. And I think, truly, they thought they were going to be sort of like second-tier sort of royals who could get on with their lives be called upon to do their duty by the Queen when required, but ultimately still have a a life together without intrusion. No sense of disingenuousness on Meghan's part. I mean, I didn't know how to curtsy. Really? She didn't know how to curtsy when well, she's married. Maybe they don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe don't, you don't know I, that well, I'd a, make a stab at curtsy. There's nuances. Maybe she did curtsy, but she curtsied incorrectly, and she was like tut tut for that. You know, she's not Diana, a virginal teenager who grew up in the aristocracy, marrying into it. She's an independent divorcee from America who had her own life, was used to having a voice, used to making her own decisions. And I can imagine if you have your whole life controlled and you haven't got a voice anymore, you would become very depressed and potentially suicidal. There has been a lot of comparisons drawn between the treatment of Diana. Yeah, Diana haunted that interview in all sorts of ways and was referred to explicitly on a number of occasions. If Harry feared a repetition, you could certainly understand why, so I have no problem with that idea. My sense of this performance is it was they weren't playing the race card they were playing the American card I think it was very carefully crafted for an American audience I think the curtsying stuff was all about what a strange thing that anyone would do I just wasn't able up to it because I'm an American and in fact she emphasizes I think her identity as American it was about launching an American career and I think a lot of the the balance of the content in the interview was very particularly her on her side was very crafted around that sort of idea I think the Diana thing was probably probably a bit of a furphy because I think it's actually all about how we are going to be royals but in California or in the United States. And Oprah, what a star. <laughs> Look at the camera, jaw drops, what a star. Yeah, she's an interviewer with a different... She is a skilled interviewer. It often appeared con- very contrived and clearly it was a very carefully planned interview but they emphasised at the beginning that no questions in advance and all that sort of stuff but yes I mean she played a major role in emphasising those dramatic those dramatic moments and particularly when the issue of race was raised for an American audience at the moment that's like uh, dropping a very very large stone into a very small pool yeah. yeah, I agree. Oprah was very good at the interview, but I think she was grasping for the racism headline. I was in a newsroom when the royal correspondent came back from a briefing in the palace and just said to the newsroom, the knives are out for Fergie. That was the message from the palace. They went for Fergie. They disowned Diana. They took her security away. So she had to rely on the security of Dodie Fayed, which was no security at all. Which was a drunk driver. And now there's this rift, to put it kindly. Three women. There's something going on with that family, isn't there? I'm starting to think, is it maybe William's issue? Does he resent the fact that, he, like Harry said, he can't escape? This is his, He's born to this role. And does he resent that Harry has a bit more freedom and he wants Harry by his side and he wants Harry to take on some of the load? I hope... I hope there's some sort of reconciliation down the track. I hope that these two brothers, we remember them walking behind their mother's coffin. It was a searing sort of image, and you remember Harry was so young and William was so young, and you just hope that they, into the future they can rely on each other because it's, it's not a job anyone would ever really wish to have. 
Oh, come on. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> what do you mean, uh, come on? <laughs> I can think of a lot of factory workers <laughs> who would rather... No, I don't appear think any, in, amount <laughs> of, any amount of riches can make up for the intrusion into your life. Try me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Prince Steve? Well, it is a life of privilege. Um, she did evoke, I think, a sense of its goldfish bowl character as well, as he did. I think his stuff about William and Charles and so on being trapped was a bit overdrawn. One person we've sort of forgotten in all this is the Queen. If you talk about people being trapped during the Crown, there was this sense that, you know, she was so upset that because of um, the abdication she had to become Queen and, she, and she's taken on that role and she's lived it for decades without complaint. It's a generational difference. I mean, that sense of devotion to duty was obviously incredibly powerful in the way that the monarchy redesigned itself, I guess, uh, in the 20th century. Maybe this is a modernising moment for the monarchy. Frank Buongiorno, <laughs> Megan Doherty, not Megan Markle. Thank you very much indeed. I'm Alex Crew, And I'm Steve Evans. Join us again. <laughs> <laughs>